Hi, I'm Holly. And I'm Cindy. And we're your Rambling Rambling Roses. Roses. Coming to you from the rose capital of America, Tyler, Texas. On this podcast, we'll share some of the little-known facts and stories about Tyler. Remember to follow Visit Tyler on social media to keep the conversation going. And Cindy, one of my favorite things about Tyler is the arts and cultural community, not only in Tyler, but in the East Texas area. Yes, we have a very vibrant cultural district. It's growing all the time and new things are being added and um, it's just exciting to see that. For sure. And some people may not understand when you say the arts, exactly what the arts all includes. And it's really just considered um, a group of activities done by people with a specific skill and imagination. It can include painting, sculpture, music, theater, literature, like all kinds of that creative genre Mm -hmm. of things. That's right. And there are a lot of benefits to community for having arts in the community. Um, it creates culture. It What a lot of people may not realize is it stimulates business and economic growth. Um, about 3 million people are employed in the arts and culture, arts and cultural um, organizations in the United States. And arts and cultural organizations pump an estimated $60 billion into the national economy. Yes, and and something related to what we do, it actually drives tourism as well. So it brings in outside dollars on top of what it's generating in in your own community. For sure. And one of the reasons that it drives tourism is because it has such a wide appeal. From kids all the way to seniors, Mm -hmm. arts can be appealing to all ages. So it's really a really fun attraction to have in the city as a benefit to a tourist. Absolutely. It also inspires young minds. And one thing that has been reoccurring in the past few years, our schools have been cutting their funding for arts programs and are quickly realizing that that is a mistake. I guess when funding is an issue... You know, you can't cut math, Mm -hmm. and so art sometimes is the first thing to go, but that's really a disservice to our children, the next generation, as well as the community, as um, programs like this contribute to higher levels of um, economic growth in cities that have arts programs. And the studies show that kids who are involved in the arts tend to go on to the next level of education. Um, Yeah, absolutely. It, studies show that $1 invested into an arts and cultural program at a school returns about $8 into the community. So that That's it means huge. big bucks mm-hmm. to a community if you want to talk that way. But it also improves test scores and it stimulates different parts of the brain. So these kids grow up to be more well-rounded. Absolutely it's easier to learn and go on to that next level of education, which we in Tyler especially know Mm -hmm. that higher education is so important to our economic growth as a city. That's right. right. So arts, arts and culture, it's not just pretty things to look at or listen to. It's, it's imperative to, to our economy. And Cindy, we have a couple of people who know that who live that day in and day out. Why don't you introduce our guests? right. I'm super excited to have them on today. Joining us is Robin Hampton, who's executive director of the East Texas Symphony Orchestra. And along with her is the music director of the East Texas Symphony Orchestra, Richard Lee. And welcome to both of you, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Richard, why don't you start us off and tell us how long you've been with ETSO and what brought you here to Tyler? Well, now, how long do we have? Okay, so <laughs> That's one, a loaded question. The first question's easier. No, 10 years I've been the, the music director of East Texas in the Yorkshire. I moved here from Toronto to, to take this job. I've been residing here for about five years now. Prior to that, I was a commuter conductor, so it's I jet back and forth between Toronto or Canada and, and Tyler and spend two weeks here and go back, quote-unquote, home across the border. Uh, why? This is a a real simple question. I mean, essentially, at the end of the day, what folks, many folks don't realize is how um, competitive the industry is, at least in classical music right now. Uh, there are schools and colleges and conservatories 
turning out graduates upon graduates every year. And there is no growth in the industry, right? There's no increase in the number of jobs or opportunities there are in mm. the orchestras or whatever. So it, it's, it, the numbers game is a real, real issue for, for musicians. Um, it's just competitive. Uh, so really, I came here because y'all asked me to. You know, <laughs> I went through the process of, of, of getting, getting the job. And for some reason, people seemed to like what I said and did. And they offered me the, the position. I was incredibly pleased to, to accept. Um, but it was really... Um, how do I put this? It, it wasn't something that was necessarily on the radar moving to Tyler, but that's mm. how it worked out, and I couldn't be more happy. Well, we're glad, we're happy too, and we're, yeah, we're happy that you're here in the community. <laughs> Robin, why don't you um, tell us the same thing? Give us a little bit of your history. I know you're a little bit newer on the scene at ETSO, but let us know your your history. Sure. Um, well, I am new to East Texas. Um, as far as a, being a resident, but not new to East Texas. My husband and I have relatives all around this area, and we always knew we wanted to settle here and be a part of this amazing community that we call Tyler. And um, so we we moved here a little over, it's about two years ago now, and um, we are just thrilled to be here. I have a background um, with actually a lot that you were talking about with music education and working with other symphony orchestras. And this has just been a, a blessing to be a part of ETSO and to be the executive director here. So I may be new to the area, but East Texas Symphony Orchestra has been around since 1936. Wow. And uh, so we're, we're definitely part of the fabric of Tyler and East Texas. Uh, it's really, really exciting to um, be launching our 85th season, which is wow, very exciting. And um, I kind of think Richard forgot to tell you, this is his 10th year that we're celebrating with Richard as our music director. So Yay. we're really excited to launch this year. Yes, that's a big, a big accomplishment for sure. So how 85 years ago, how did ETSO first get started? Oh, good question. This is a really, um, really the, good question. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, bro. It, it started, you know, very small and as an all-volunteer um, orchestra. And then in 1954, the orchestra was actually renamed the East Texas Symphony Orchestra. And that was to reflect the entire region um, and where we drew both musicians and audience members. Um, mm -hmm. It grew quite a bit. Um, throughout history, we only um, took a hiatus during World War II for two years and then this past year um, with the pandemic. But we are back and uh, stronger than ever. We have a, a wonderful uh, group of core musicians that have been performing with us and not only do we have a five concert season, um, but we really, one of, uh, one of the things that's really important to us as an organization is education and being a part of the education system. We work very closely with Tyler Independent School District. And so we've been um, doing education concerts for students. Uh, we hope to have almost 4,000 students this year attend our education concerts along with about 9,000 people coming to our season concerts. Wow. Um, some of those are duplications with the season concerts, mm -hmm. but a lot of the people, like you said earlier, they come from out of town. They come from the all around the area. So um, we, we really are reaching out and have grown substantially over the last 85 years. That's great. Um, is there a mission statement per se for what, what would you say your, your mission is as an organization? To engage and inspire the East Texas community with exceptional music, education, and performance. Love that. That is our mission. <laughs> That's yes. great. Is, um, I'm not as familiar with the orchestra, but do, do these musicians try out? Um, how does that work as far as bringing in the musicians? I'll let Richard take that one. That's his, that's his thing. You go, Richard. <laughs> thank you, Robin. It's it's a very yeah. unique scenario. So I think Robin mentioned that we're professional orchestras. So yes, 
they must try, I had to try out, the musicians have to try out, they're called additions for musicians. Mm -hmm. And when you go to college, if you're an instrumentalist, that's really what your focus is, right? You're, you're spending four plus years trying to figure out how to jump through the hoops and jump over the hurdles of winning an addition. And again, what I need to emphasize is for major orchestra, uh, it's not uncommon to have 600, 700 people apply for wow. one position. Uh, so you have days of additions in some cases and you're expected to fly out on your own dime if you're a French horn player or a violinist, and, you know, stay in a hotel mm -hmm. and you're not guaranteed in most cases any amount of time. Uh, they can cut your audition short after 10 seconds if they decide that you're not going to pass muster. They can say thank you and send you on your way. So it's a, it's a real strange thing. Uh, essentially, there's a long list of music that you're, you, you prepare for as an instrumentalist. You practice like a demon. I mean, yeah. mm -hmm. my musician friends who do this literally have spent months at, this is on top of their training as, as, you know, students, but months and months preparing for an audition, playing through the excerpts over and over again, playing through excerpts, you know, on waking up at three in the morning so they can simulate fatigue and nerves and playing through their excerpts so that they're as ready as they can possibly be. You arrive at the audition venue. There is a panel of orchestra members who are behind the screen. You can't see the uh, auditionee. He or she cannot hear see he or see you. There's no talking, no conversing aloud. We're not allowed to know who is playing. We aren't even allowed to know their gender. So they put carpet down so that you can't hear what type of footwear people are wearing when they walk on, on into the room. Uh, it's completely anonymous, meant to be completely merit-based. Uh, you play through your excerpts. Um, you usually there are three or four rounds. You know, you cut people, you make them play again, you cut some more people, um, and then finally at the end you have X number of finalists left. Usually you bring down the the screen at that point in time so you can actually talk and see the person play, and then you choose the winner. Wow! It is a horrible horrible process <laughs> um it, it no it is but a maybe necessary one. right sure but but the numbers are so stacked against you i mean for a major this doesn't necessarily apply to us i mean depending on the instrumentation depending on the timing we don't mm -hmm. we don't get hundreds and hundreds of applicants we certainly get the dozens mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. uh certainly under 100 usually uh, but even those are bad odds. You know, there's usually one position. And if you if you mess up, even briefly, even minorly, you're probably not going to win, right? Because someone's going to play perfect or close to perfect. So it, it really is a stressful um, way to, to, to win a job. Mm -hmm. But that's mm -hmm. the, the, the sort of the lay of the land for an orchestral musician attempting to break into the professional orchestral world. It's hard it is hard yeah and um to, you know kudos to the brave you know students who are embarking in conservatories and colleges because they've got a a real tough road ahead so once they're selected do they carry over season after season or is there a pro a, an audition process every year no so there isn't a, a core group usually yeah. yeah so there's something called tenure Mm -hmm. So in the first two seasons, generally speaking, it's it can be as it can be longer or shorter. But there's a period of probation where musicians they can't be re-editioned, but they're they have none of the job security that's afforded to the other musicians. Uh, but after two years' time, the musicians who pass muster again receive tenure, and they can they, it's it's much like being a professor at the university. They're they're sort of they can be lifers if they want to. Mm -hmm. It's a very stable, secure job. They don't have to re-edition or retry out every year. It's just the one time only. Mm -hmm. And uh, once they get through their provisionary period, they're in pretty much for life if they want. Wow. Did you come up through that process as well? Is that how you ended up in your position? For for music directors, a screen is not uh, <laughs> it's not practical. Uh, you people have got to be able to look at me, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, for music directors, it's it's very different. Um, what they tend to do is orchestras form a search committee that's usually comprised of board members, committee members, musicians, 
and they advertise a position, they invite musicians to apply, they go through interviews, uh, they weed out as many people as possible, and they invite a small number. Uh, the ETSO in 2011 invited five candidates to conduct a week, a trial week. So it's a regular concert, except um, the only difference is that you're not the music director, you're trying out for the job. So they, they really, um, the ETSO certainly put me through my paces. Uh, lots of non-musical things like dinners and donor meets and appearances at I remember I had to show up at a furniture store, which was odd, but you know, <laughs> whatever, you do what you need to do. And uh, yeah. I just complimented that person's furniture nonstop, which is, I think, what I was supposed to do. Uh, so, it obviously you know, that worked. sort of thing. You got the it, job. Very, you got the job. Right. Yeah. I did get the job. I did get the job, but, you know, it's really more of a, a combo of, you know, you know for, for instrumentalists, it's, it doesn't matter if you look ugly or if you're great looking or if you you know, old or young, or if you're man or woman, it's supposedly completely about merit. For a music director, there's a lot of other non-musical issues that are being evaluated, right? Is mm -hmm. this person relatable? Will people like this person? Will people want to support this person in his or her new role as music director? How will this person do raising money? How will this person do eating dinner at donors' houses? You know, this is it's really much more of a social as well as a musical job. And I think... Um, more and more orchestras are really putting a premium on, on, on that side of things as well as the music. You know, I relate that to sports, Richard, because uh, it reminds me of a head coach because they become <laughs> the, the, the face of the team and they have to go out and do the fundraising and the handshaking and meeting with the sponsors. Absolutely. And, and the um, complimenting people's furniture. Yes. <laughs> So uh, it was good furniture. I really <laughs> liked this furniture too. So that was a good thing. Well, I hope they helped um, you no, uh, furnish your home once you moved here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that. Uh, that never occurred to me to sort of use that. To, no. Um, so it's 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 a pretty good analogy. It's very apt. You know, it's there are a lot of football coaches. I won't get into names, but you know, I think we're less football geniuses and more likable guys who can motivate kids That's and who right. can you know you know draw people into the booster club so that the football team can raise money you know mm -hmm. that is it's more of a figurehead rather than leading the team right. and they re leave the, the the tactics and the, the play design and the play calling to people who are much more smarter and much nerdier than than the head coaches and i think that's sometimes what tends to happen here Mm -hmm. uh with music director jobs i mean it's it's again it, it really depends on the balance you know the, the, the musicians i'm probably talking about but the musicians here they really wanted someone to whip them to shape i give them credit um, yeah. because they knew they were in a, a zone a, a sort of a, a a period where they were kind of comfortable there was you know just really not being challenged mm -hmm. and not getting better as a musical ensemble and they recognized that i said we need someone who will be able to kind of listen and hear and be nice but not yell but tell us what we're doing wrong mm -hmm. so we can get better and that's not always the case there's a substantial number of musicians on search committees for orchestras mm -hmm. so um it really depends on what the musicians priorities are as well as the boards and the communities in terms of whom it is they end up selecting right well yeah that's that's great that you know you have a team that you you came in and they they wanted to take it to the next level, which is great for us as the community and us that promote, promote tourism for sure. So how have you seen, both of you seen, the arts in Tyler grow and the benefits that it's bringing to the community? Well, I, I, I would like to go back to the benefits for children. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's really interesting that you know, you talked about test scores, et cetera. There's another side to that that, that really comes into a child's life as, as he or she is growing up, and that is critical thinking skills, communication, mm -hmm. creativity. Those are some things that, that take us into our adult lives with the skill set to move forward. Um, I, I never have forgotten the story of um, my husband and I were at a very nice um, resort for an anniversary and the kid that brought our bag into the resort, um, I said, oh, you know, thank you so much. 
and he's, you know, was so polite. And the person that checked us in said, oh, we only hire kids that are in the high school orchestra because they know how to show up. They're ready to go. They're fully dressed. They're polite. They understand responsibility. They take accountability for their actions. And those are things that are learned every day in the classroom when you're engaged in in music, whether it be band, orchestra, or choral music. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the benefits to our community are amazing. You talked about, um, I loved the, the, the example you gave about getting ready for a concert. I was just talking to um, some people at the Tyler Chamber of Commerce that, you know, when Richard is busy right now getting all of the music ready, the musicians are, are working and, and on their bowing and, and rehearsing, um, you know, my, my our staff, uh, Kathy Housby here at the office, she's, you know, on the phone all day today and yesterday with ticket sales and getting ready um, for our, our concert at the Cowan, which, which we've got coming up. But more than that, there's someone out there making dinner reservations. There's someone that made a hotel reservation. Mm-hmm. There's a new tie being bought um, to wear to a symphony concert, a new dress to be worn, et cetera. So it really does contribute to the economy and move this this uh, wonderful city forward. You know, um, our chair, uh, Dr. D.M. Edwards, has something to say about every city that has a symphony orchestra is a great city. Great cities have symphony orchestras. Mm-hmm. So Tyler is a great city because of the gem that we have in Um, the East Texas Symphony Orchestra housed right here. So we're really proud to be in this community. And, you know, we're part of the fabric of the community. We don't just come in and play music and then go home, but our offices are here. Uh, Richard lives here. I live Mm -hmm, here. mm -hmm. So we're really proud to be a part of this community and to give back. Um, I love a dollar to eight. So the, the funds that we're putting towards our education concerts this year, Richard, they're going to multiply eight times. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to report that back to the board, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and I love... Yeah, no, you know, for me, and, and I think this is all right, every, everything that's been said, I mean, I, I certainly, it's provable. The numbers, right? The economic benefit, the benefit in kids, the, the discipline, the fact that certainly kids and music tend to be much more advanced in other areas, including behavior, comportment, math, all this sort of stuff. It's It's very thoroughly studied and thoroughly proven. But for me, the important things are, you know, when I first got here, the comments that I received post-concert were very generic, generic, you know, great show, love the music, it was so nice. Which, fine, I love that. I mean, it wasn't, it was horrible, I want to go home after 30 seconds, so these are all great comments. (laughs) Uh, But as as things progressed, you know, as the years progressed, as the seasons progressed, they became much more specific. You know, I love this part. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, uh, there are some things that come to mind immediately. You know, we, we, we programmed a piece several years ago called the German Requiem. And the Requiem is a mass for the dead. It's meant to, uh, to, to, to mourn and take comfort in the fact that many folks believe that once you pass, you move on to a better place. And this German Requiem is is very Christian-based. It has various quotes from the Bible, and you can tell it really softens the scary parts of what's in a requiem normally, which is fire and brimstone, and if you don't believe, you're going to go to hell, all this stuff. And this is a, this is such a one of my favorite pieces because it's so soothing and comforting, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, what you need when, when you, you're faced with this incredible starkness of, of folks dying, mm-hmm. uh, folks close to you dying. And, you know, one woman came up to me and said, um, just trying to not get too emotional, but you know, said it reminded me of my mother, mm-hmm. you know, who had just passed, and, <clears throat> and that was the point, I think, of the piece. Was it's it's that's important to me, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and there was another piece, another piece of music by Mahler, and you know, it, it's he wanted to pick heaven. Why am I being like so religious? I don't know, but he wanted to have literally the gates of heaven opening in music. And how hard is that? How do you write a piece of music that is supposed to re- represent the literal gates of heaven opening up to you oh. as you enter? Mm-hmm. And you did it. And it's just such amazing music. And folks came up to me afterwards and said, look, I heard it. 
I've heard it. You were mm -hmm. right. Amazing. These are the comments that are meaningful to me. I mean, this is why I'm <clears throat> I'm a musician. I mean, I, I don't do it uh, for the money or for the for the for, for the fame. I do it because I think the product itself is supposed to make your life better. It's supposed to make art is supposed to make your life more meaningful. Art is supposed to make your life more profound and worth living. Uh, you know, it, it, it's supposed to convince you not to be a nihilist about your brief time in, on this planet. It's supposed to really make you think and ponder why you exist. And that's, that sounds really hoity-toity, but, you know, this is why I'm in it. You know, economic benefits are great and educational benefits are great too, but the music is phenomenal. And I think more and more folks are understanding that the music is not just you know, that that that's not just to me sort of like a, a shallow entertainment. It's it's really meant to be something more human than that. And I think that's what the importance of art is for me. And that that is in my perspective, anecdotally speaking, getting a lot better. People get what art is and how important it is. I love that. You know, yeah. Richard, um, you've reminded me of of uh, you know the why, right? Um, Thank you so much for inviting us on to talk about the what we do and how we do it. But the why, why do we do what we do? And it's so important to go back to that and remember that. And, um, you know, after this unprecedented year in our history, as we emerge out of COVID and the pandemic and all that it has brought, um, you know, there are people that have lived in fear and, um, you know, me, music can bring such healing to the human soul. Um, we may not be able to feed the soul physically, but we feed it spiritually. And it's, you know, you can't put a price tag on that. And ETSO has been doing that for years. Like I said, we, you know, this, this had to have happened as we emerged from World War II. So it's, wonderful to know that as we've come out of this unprecedented time and as Richard shared about his his you know family that we all have things that we um, go through I can't even imagine a benchmark event in my life without music mm -hmm. from happy birthday to um, the wedding march to you know taps or the amazing grace at a, a funeral even the high school prom, you know, memories can, can float up good, bad, or indifferent, <laughs> you know, when I hear a specific song. So um, it's, it's just amazing what music can do um, for the human being soul mm -hmm. and the community. So we are just so proud and honored to serve the community through East Texas Symphony Orchestra and bringing amazing music forward and and it's just a wonderful opportunity and again i'm honored to be a part of this group and to serve the community through um, this organization robin um this may pertain to both you and richard but as you move into a season what how do you determine the music and your schedule of shows etc what goes into putting all that together a lot <laughs> there's um well I'll, I'll speak very briefly and then richard can expand you know everything we have a board of directors and within that board of directors we have advisory um committees and so richard is the director so he's the one that makes the decisions and i he's done an amazing um job for the the current season we've got a little bit of everything and they're there's always something for someone at every concert. So, or always something for everyone at, at every concert. And it's, um, so a lot of thought goes into it. And then, um, you know, you think everything through and then I'm sure I, I, I know scheduling then becomes, you know, a big scramble. Like we can't get this person here. So we slide them in there all with keeping the big picture, um, in focus. And then, um, Richard could probably speak to, you know, we can't have heavy brass pieces back to back because it'll kind of, you know, ruin the embouchure of our brass players. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's a lot that goes into it, a lot of planning, a lot of thought. And um, Richard, go take it away and expand on that. No, I think 
that's a pretty good synopsis. I mean, from my standpoint, it, it's always been a matter of balance. You know, it, you can't have too much of one thing and too little of another. And 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 I include too much of what people want. You know, it, it's 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 it. This is not like a you know all request radio where you get to call in and tell us what to play. You know what to do. Um, you've chosen someone, or the community in New York has chosen someone to be like the arbiter of what's what makes the cut. Like, what music is good enough and what music is important enough and what music is crafted well enough to, to be presented. Uh, and I, I think that's within the bounds of, and again, I think we mentioned earlier that we only have five main stage shows. So there's a lot to juggle with uh, to sort mm -hmm. of seek that balance. Um, but, you know, you have to acknowledge that some people love the piano and some people hate the piano. Some people love popular music. Some people hate pop music, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. It's really, really funny. You get miss, <clears throat> you get competing comments from for the same piece of music. You know, I, I <laughs> yeah. really love mm -hmm. the fact that you program X from one person to the next person next week, saying, "I really never really understood why X is programmed as often as, you know, mm -hmm. someone." And that this we're doing a, <laughs> but but part of my job is to of course listen, but still nevertheless not necessarily always say you're right. We're going to change stuff because you don't. That sounds terrible to say, isn't it? But you don't like that. <laughs> no, you know, no. It's, re it's really, it's really, you know, I get to, it's, it's, this is actually a really trendy thing too. I mean, this is what curators do in an art museum, or even if, if you're curating anything now, there are curators for, for podcasts and curators for, you know, so it, it's, 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 someone has to be the arbiter of quality and that's me. And within that, yeah. those parameters though, I really try to do as much music as possible as much in terms of variety as possible and every year and like robin said there's something for everyone and there is of course a lot of pop music one of the we one of the things that we've done before and we're doing again this season is this whole idea of putting a rock tune or a popular music tune back to back with a classical piece that from which it stole from you know oh yeah oh so, that's fun i like yeah. that so you know it's and that this is, for example, Maroon Five stole from Taco Bell, and we'll play both pieces back to back, so you can hear that, right? And, <laughs> yeah, and, I like that. You know, it's 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 all that sort of thing. So one of the things we're doing is we're doing the Ravel Bolero back to back with New Order Blue Monday, which is a seminal piece of music from when I was young, and I happen to be that in that age eighties bracket where mm -hmm. you know sort of dance music really came into its own sort of form. It really really took off and, and that whole idea that, that that sort of genre stole rhythmically from another piece of music that was classical that preceded it by you know over 100 years is to me a remarkable thing to present you know and so that's that's kind of how we do it here I mean will there be popular music yes but we want to sort of tie it into our core mission which is really to present very classical music as well um, so but there literally is something for everyone you know, that, and that's that's my job is to be the arbiter of quality and make sure that things are good enough to present on stage, but also be as broad as I can and acknowledge the sort of the breadth of, of musical taste that exists in Tyler. I mean, mm -hmm. people like different stuff. And then so far as I'm able within five concerts, I think my role is to make sure that without sacrificing quality, that that breadth be, be recognized and, and be, be, be programmed into a season. Yeah, well, I, I do think that's important, um, like you said, to not always play what someone likes because, like you said, tastes are different. So one person will love it and the person sitting next mm -hmm. to them will hate it. And But that's what the arts is all about, right, is being exposed to things that may or may Absolutely. not be your taste. Broadening you know, as right. long as they're talking about it, for days, and I, I, I just was talking with someone the other day about a piece of music that they had heard over in the Dallas Metroplex, and they said, you know, I really didn't care for it. And I said, yeah, but it's two weeks later, and you're still talking about it. Yeah, so, you know, right. it inspired something, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I love what Richard said about being, a, a you know, kind of curating the season, and that's mm -hmm. exactly what happens is, you know, you've got to look at what what is out there and then make it exciting and of course you know richard just doesn't stand up there and wave the baton and conduct the the orchestra 
he stops and explains things to our audience. And really, it's an interactive experience that ETSO offers to our audience. And it's exciting. And um, that's really fun to be a part of. Something we did during um, it's a silver lining that's come out of the pandemic was we put together small ensembles of ETSO musicians at a local venue, True Vine, um, out on Earl Campbell Way. And we brought, what all did we bring, Richard? We had a a Latin beats night. We had a polka night. We had strings. We had um, like Gershwin woodwinds come. Um, We had steel drum sets. So we really kind of branched out. And, you know, we thought we would just do that during the pandemic year, Mm -hmm. but it really caught on. And we'll, we'll be offering that in addition to, our season concerts moving forward. So we're really excited about that. And we did a huge Labor Day concert that I, I'm going to meet with the mayor um, real soon. And it's it's now an annual event, Labor Day Symphony in the Park at Bergfeld Park, where our symphony gets together and plays a different kind of music, more patriotic and Texas-centric, mm. Texas how do you say that? Texas-centric music. <laughs> and that was a really well-received um, uh-huh concert that the city of Tyler helped, you know, with and, and helped to, to fund that. And it was a gift to our community. It's grown now and everybody's talking about the annual event. So we're That's really great. excited to be doing all kinds of things in, in addition to our season. That's yeah, so I've really enjoyed um, seeing the new events this past year. And the Bergfeld event, there were just so many people who attended it. So that was really great. And I was so excited to see that y'all plan on continuing those because that's just, it's fun. I think it's reaching maybe um, some people in the audience who might not have thought of attending um, a show at the Cowan Center. Now, maybe they're they're thinking about it. Um, so I, I think that's another Absolutely. great way to immerse, immerse the culture, the arts culture into the Tyler community. So that's really cool. What, what are some of y'all's favorite past shows or shows that are coming up? That's a tough one. I am, wow, that's huge. I'm looking forward to two that are coming. Oh, I I don't, I know, don't make me, don't make me do this. (laughs) I was was just looking, um, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, I loved Sylvia Diarmo who came and performed a local, local Tylerite. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got Charles Yang coming. He's a violin superstar. I, I can't wait to see that. And I'm really, actually, really looking forward to hearing the Stanley Barbecue Band. My husband and I was one of the first restaurants we went to with Stanley's Barbecue when we moved here. And now um, to to hear the Stanley's Band play with ETSO and Richard go back and forth with that music, really <laughs> looking forward to that. Uh, you know, and it just keeps getting better every mm-hmm. every concert. So don't make me pick a f- favorite. <laughs> you like them all. <laughs> Yes, I do. I love them. What about you, Richard? You know, it's, it, yeah, you know, I think that when it comes to programming future concerts, they're all my favorite. I mm-hmm. think they all have incredible merit. Uh, they're designed differently. They have different music and different programs, different kind of emphasis in terms of what sort of music is being played. But like I said, if we plan to be, if we purport to be the symphony orchestra that presents music for everyone, that's what you got to do, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to make sure that there's that variety there. So I, I think it's all great music. I stand by behind the quality of it and the performance of it. Uh, you know, I was thinking while, while Robin was talking there, I was thinking, this is a tough question. I mean, yeah. you know, it's not one that I think about <laughs> often, yeah. um, but I will say that there have been moments when um, I knew that things clicked. Uh, you know, the first time mm-hmm. I did the Beethoven Ninth Symphony here, that really clicked. Mm-hmm. I mean, people got it. People understood why that piece of music is still being performed today. And, 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 you know, this whole idea that we're all brothers and sisters and that we're all humans and we should all love and cherish and respect each other. Well, I mean, that, that's a time I would say it's maybe even just as important as it was when Beethoven wrote it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, that this whole idea of the humanity is a shared cause uh, and this planet is a shared planet. Uh, it's such an important idea. Uh, you know, the, when when we did, I did a cycle of Brahms symphonies here, not because 
there wasn't a lot of bronze being performed here, but because it's just, he's the best. I love him. I love the music. The symphonies are so important to me. So I said, yeah, let's do all four, four seasons. And it's, you know, the Brahms symphonies are not really that hard to play. And these musicians have probably played it, you know, anywhere from a six dozen, 20 times, depending on if they're played often, right? Mm -hmm. It's not as if the musicians don't know this stuff. But there is, when you play things over and over again, I don't know, when you say the Lord's Prayer, when you sing the Star Spangled Banner, you get this sense of routine. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, mm -hmm. it, is, it is something that becomes automatic that your brain doesn't engage because you know it. I know this. He's gay, right? It's comforting, right? yes. Yeah. Um, Comfort. And I, I understand that. Just, I guess it's human nature and the Brahms you know, four was a little bit like that. And, you know, I, we played for a while, 20 minutes, and I just put my baton down and said, you know, obviously it sounds good. You guys know this. That's great. But, you know, we're not playing this right. And they proceeded to talk about how I want this to be played. And it's just, just such a wistful piece of music that should sound. And I was very poetic. And I just said something about fall and, and leaves tumbling and, and, and things becoming cold and a little bit more closed kind of, being more, more, not sad, but more wistful, looking back, thinking, reminiscing. And if this is, it's missing this. It's too like, it's right in front of you. This has got to be like a memory. And they all looked at me and they really got it, but they got it. And, you know, it, it became this real kind of synergy, such an overused word, but they understood, they understood. It wasn't like I said, play like this, use more bow or, play with more vibrato or play softer or faster. Or I didn't give any explicit directions. I just said this weird poetic thing and it just changed. It completely changed. It sounded like a brand new piece of music. And I said, exactly, that's exactly right. Wow. This has got to sound like autumn and not like summer. And this is the sort of thing, these are the moments that you say, okay, this is going to be a good concert. And they were really into it. They were really, re not that they're not, always into it but there was a special level of intuitiveness mm -hmm. that night because they really knew that they were playing something beyond the notes and they had agreed we had all agreed collectively what that was going to be like and it just made for this incredibly um visceral performance of this piece of music that doesn't always happen you know because it's mm -hmm. again because it's like a major orchestra will play bronze for probably once a year every year a major orchestra will play Beethoven's Ninth Symphony once a year, every year. And there gets to be this, you know, like I said, this routine. And we, you know, we have to find a way collectively to, to combat that and make it sound like it's supposed to, make it sound fresh and real mm -hmm. uh, for the folks sitting in the audience who may have never heard this piece before in their lives. Right. You know? I think that's a, that's a good bet. And so that, that sort of thing, that moments like that are extremely memorable for me when the music clicks Mm -hmm. on stage and there's sort of real tangible evidence of that when the musicians are playing and you know that's the concert where you get more musicians coming up to you after with saying maestro i don't know why they call me maestro, <laughs> but they still do some of them but say thank you so much that was a real that was a real treat to play like that and it doesn't always happen and they acknowledge it too so to me yeah. that's it's real it's rewarding when the music clicks yeah yeah well um you know, the mus music generates emotions and you can really mm. tell when musicians or singers are into it or if they're just phoning it in, like you said, because they've done it for years and years. Oh, man, you can really tell. <laughs> well, and the you audience really, loves that, really too, tell. when the when the musicians love what they're doing and love the song. You can right. tell. I mean, that's one reason why I, I love like listening to bands practice or orchestras practice because, you know, they'll just get into the groove and start playing off of each other and try different things. And yeah, that, that is so true. I mean, I think that too, the process to me is more interesting than the end result. The end result is the end result. And sometimes it's because you have an insanely great conductor, but usually it's because you have an insanely good orchestra and the conductor is superfluous to that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it, it, it's, but seeing the process gives you the final evidence, you know, like what, what shaped this performance, who contributed what and when, 
um, was the conductor and was the rehearsal process valuable or not? Uh, I've seen rehearsal processes that made things sound worse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If the musicians dislike the guest conductor, if the musicians, if the guest starts in a bad mood, I mean, things are being practiced and rehearsed and it sounds worse, yeah. you know, after an hour instead of sounding better. This was because that the kind of the, 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 the vibe at that yeah. point in time. Yeah. It's just so audible in the music that they're making at that point in time. And if the vibe's not right, it doesn't matter how much of a genius you are. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. how much of a genius musicians are. The vibe is important. You know, it's, it's got to be, hey, we're, we're playing this insanely grid music. Let's really do this uh, you know, the right way, the best, yeah. best way we can. So I, I always, yeah, you know, when I was younger, especially, I snuck into rehearsals all the time. Forget concerts, concerts, whatever. And, you know, you have to pay, and I feel bad about sneaking into concerts, but rehearsals, I mean, you just <laughs> walk in and see if they kick you out or not. That's <laughs> kind of what I did a lot in all sorts of different places. Yeah. And, and it usually yeah. works. I mean, knowing that they see a kid and you have a knapsack and you're carrying music and scores around, you're falling around, they said, okay, he's just a music nerd. We'll let him stay there, right? <laughs> they don't bother you. Um, so that's a trick to music geeks who are young. I mean, if you're a kid, Sneak into places, they probably won't kick you out if you were a student. <laughs> Good. You know, one thing I was thinking of um, as Richard was talking is, is it sounds, it's starting to sound like family, right? You mm-hmm. know, um, the, the things that happen with the orchestra and some of our musicians have been with us nearly 30 years, Gosh, uh, 10, awesome. you know, 20. And we've got a couple that have been around for a, a while. And that says something. They mm-hmm. play together. They know each other. Um, you know, they enjoy meals together before and after concerts. So there's a real family. And with that comes a unity that mm-hmm. really comes out through their music. And that's, that's really an important thing to note, that when you sit there and listen to ETSO, you know, it's, you're hearing a family perform. And there's something magical that happens when there's a bond between the performers. So um, I invite everybody to come and be a part of concerts, whether it be back at Bergfeld Park on Labor Day or um, one of our season events. I invite anybody and everybody to please come and experience the music. Well, Robin, why don't you tell us where people can find you guys online to see a list of the current shows that are playing and connect with y'all? Sure. You bet. We are, our office is actually on the square in downtown Tyler. If you wanted to pop in and say hello, we would love that. All of the information about any and all of our events is on our website at etso.org. So that's East Texas Symphony Orchestra, etso.org. You can always call our office here and get more information. We the phone's been busy right now. People are really uh, looking forward to the upcoming season. But our number is 903-526-3876. For season tickets, we are out at the Cowan Center, uh, UT Tyler Cowan Center. So you can also call the box office out there. But for, the, for everything, you can get links to buy tickets or to make a donation um, we are a nonprofit organization. We don't get big funding from the federal government or, or anything, you know. So um, we exist because of the generosity of the, this community, period. Ticket sales are only a, a small fraction of what it takes to put on a symphonic concert um, at the caliber that we, we um, exist right now. So that's something, you know, thank you to our community for your support Thank you for continuing to support us and to get more information, how to get tickets, how to be a part of the ETSO family, um, etso.org. Thank you guys so much. Um, uh, You can tell how passionate you both are about music and about ETSO, and we just encourage everyone to go to the website, look at the upcoming season, and um, purchase those tickets, make those donations, and support our local East Texas Symphony Orchestra. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you. you. Cindy, I am so glad that we got to catch up with Richard and Robin. Like you said, their passion for 
arts in this community, you can tell that mm -hmm. through just their conversation. And I learned a lot today. I did too. And I'm so impressed with the, the whole organization and the time that goes into preparing just for a season, but the time, you know, just, just bringing in the orchestra members. That was, yeah. I, you know, I had no idea yeah, of the just process. That. It's a process, yeah. But what I loved was <clears throat> Richard talking about putting meaning behind the music. Mm -hmm. You know, you, any great orchestra can get up there and play any piece of music, and it's going to sound good, but to put a meaning and a story behind it just creates an even bigger experience for the audience. We're all touched by music, and when you can relate it to something in your own life, it just, it, it just makes a bigger impact. It does, and I think what really is the period at the end of the sentence here with this episode is that the arts is important mm -hmm. to Tyler, and not only that, it shapes the culture of Tyler. So we can't have a Rambling Roses podcast about the culture of Tyler without highlighting the arts, like right. ETSO, their mainstay here in Tyler. I had no idea they had been here for 85 years. I knew they had been here forever, but that is almost 100 I know, years. I know, and I, I love the fact that they are getting into the school system and bringing the arts to the students at a young age. Mm -hmm. From what we talked about at the beginning of the show, just the statistics of how more well-rounded kids are who immerse themselves in some of the arts. I right. think it's so important to introduce that at a young age to the, to the students. Absolutely. Well, we are so happy that they were able to join us and we release a new episode every month. So we'll bring another one to you next month. So keep an eye on that. Follow us on social media at Visit Tyler and you can also find us on our website at visittyler.com. And until next time, have a rosy day. Bob and I'm Julie Goodgame, inviting you to listen to Roses and Weeds, a City of Tyler podcast where we get off into the weeds of local government. Join us as we talk to the experts on issues happening in our community. New episodes drop once a month and are available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, folks. I'm Bob Malden, and I want you to take a walk with me on my video series, Walking with Bob. Follow our City of Tyler Facebook page and YouTube channel for new videos monthly as I find the right City of Tyler employee to answer your pressing questions. What's up with my water bill? What are the rules about bikes on Tyler's trails? How do I recycle large items? You need the answers? I go get them. Walking with Bob. Get the latest videos by following us on Facebook and subscribing on YouTube.